What was once the enormous mansion of investment banker Frederick Strong Mosley is now just a brick outline. The over 400-acre state park, Maudsley, is known for its winding paths, mountain laurels, views of the Merrimack River, and ticks. But much of what is left to see here is the vision of Martha Brooks Hutchinson. Welcome to Someone Lived Here, a podcast about the places cool people called home. I'm your host, Kendra Gaylord. This season, we'll be doing things a bit differently, learning the stories of homes that are no longer standing, all from my apartment in New York. In this opening episode of the season, I wanted to bring you somewhere that I know very well. Today, we'll be at Maudsley State Park in Newburyport, Massachusetts. The park is remarkable for its variety. It has dense forest, large fields, ponds, swamps, once formal gardens, hedges, cold frames, pet cemeteries, and countless abandoned structures. And as a kid growing up, I would go to this park, imagining stories about the people who used to live here. This story doesn't start in the medieval ages, with a princess fighting a dragon, as I envisioned as a kid. But instead, in 1860, when a wealthy merchant, Edward Mosley, bought a stretch of property along the Merrimack River called the Laurel Grounds. It was called this for the mountain laurels, which are native to New England and grew on the riverbank. And that plant might sound familiar to folks who listened to last season. Edna St. Vincent Millay's mother wrote a poem about her three daughters, calling them her little mountain laurel trees. And they must be a very poetic plant, because before Edward Mosley purchased this property, it was already being used for laurel parties. On the last day of June, a man named William Ashby would throw picnics with poets and friends. John Greenleaf Whittier, who attended many of the parties, wrote multiple poems for the occasion. Here's a little piece of Our River. Once more on yonder laurel height, the summer flowers have budded. Once more with summer's golden light, the vales of home are flooded. And once more by the grace of him, of every good the giver, we sing upon its wooded rim the praises of our river. Edward Mosley's son, Frederick, would buy a farm on the Merrimack River beside his father's, and that's where we'll start our journey. If you drive down Curzon Mill Road, there is an impressively large iron gate. It looks a bit like the opening shot of a Stephen King movie. This was the path that would take Frederick, his wife Helen, and their future children to their very large country estate. Frederick Mosley was a stockbroker and worked and lived in Boston with his family. Maudsley was their summer and weekend residence. The gate and the path, and much of what we can still see today, is the work of Martha Brooks Hutchinson. Martha grew up visiting her great-uncle's farm in Vermont, where they would spend the summers gardening and in the fields. In her early 20s, she attended New York School of Applied Design for Women and traveled Europe. But it was when she saw the grounds of Bellevue Hospital in New York City that changed her course in life. Quote, I was overcome with the terrible waste of opportunity for beauty, which was not being given to the hundreds of patients who could see it or go to it in convalescence. When Martha got in contact with the hospital, it became clear that changing the grounds would not be possible. But through her conversations, she learned of a new program being formed at MIT in landscape architecture. Both Harvard and MIT created programs in the field. Harvard did not allow women. MIT didn't strictly prohibit, 
but admission was very unlikely since math and science were rarely taught to women. Martha entered the program at 27 and succeeded with additional tutoring. After two years, she left the program. Many men in her position would have left school and done an apprenticeship, but it's likely that it would not have been easy for a woman to find a position within a firm. So she started her own in Boston. One of her early clients was Frederick Strong Mosley, and it was here that she would spend the coming years creating the framework that we still see today. She was 33 when she first started her work at Maudsley. She wrote in her notes almost casually, changed entrance and induced client to rebuild house. One of her goals on the entrance was to create a surprise for their guests. The long drive slight curve obscures the view. She planted hedges, trees, and shrubs to cover water towers and other functional needs. You can imagine that as a guest, you would drive the path leading to the 72-room house, not fully understanding where you were. And only once permitted into the home would you realize that you weren't in the middle of a field, but instead on a cliff overlooking the Merrimack River. And if you stand on that foundation, you can see that view. And even though I ruined the surprise, it's still breathtaking. Now, if you stand on the stone slab that was once the front steps and turn to your right, you can see a carriage house. The giant grand home didn't stay standing, but the garage for horses did. It's about the size of a three-car garage. There were originally over 30 structures on the property, and nearly all of them are either gone or closed and fallen into disrepair. Near the carriage house is a small walkway that leads to a well. And if you continue the pathway up the slight incline, you'll find yourself in a garden surrounded by brick walls. This was an Italian-inspired garden with multiple levels, and many of the pieces still look very similar. A fountain on the wall, a compass, boxwood and roses. In Martha's book, The Spirit of the Garden, you can see the photos she took in Maudsley. They are labeled and used as examples to illustrate her gardening principles. In some photos, you can easily recognize the location, and in others, the black and white photos are so full of plants and life that you can't truly place where it could have been taken. If you continue straight through the gate, there are very high hedges. Martha used hedges to hide the more practical pieces of the garden, like that pesky water tower or greenhouse roofs. The high hedges are still there, but there is nothing to hide. The greenhouses are only concrete bases with steps and half walls. In her book, Martha wrote of the necessary evil of greenhouses, calling them the most artificial and hopelessly ugly utilitarian blot that has perforce to be placed on an estate. Okay, that is the meanest thing that I can even imagine being said about a greenhouse. After hearing that, I am not surprised they fell down. Okay, back to business. There used to be a potting shed in the center of the greenhouses, but it was taken down a few years ago. Just like on the formal side, there are steps down to a lower level, but here there are cold frames. Cold frames are designed to protect plants from the harshest weather, and seeds that are started in the greenhouse would be moved here to be hardened off before being planted fully outside. When you read The Spirit of the Garden, you don't get recommendations on cold frames or seed planting. In her first sentence, she explains what type of book it will be. Quote, Garden books exist in great numbers, which give comprehensive and helpful planting charts, color schemes, and lists of valuable varieties of plants. 
There's a deeper need in the larger conception of the underlying principles of comprehensive planning. Martha's chapter titles, The Importance of Access, The Use of the Hedge, and Water in the Garden, feel like they're teaching the fundamentals of design. She was praised by reviewers for how, quote, she interprets accepted theories so that all can understand and put them in practice. The book was published in 1923, about 15 years after she initially made the gardens at Maudsley. In the years in between, she accomplished a lot. She designed gardens in New England and New York, completing about 70 projects. She was making about $10,000 every year, which calculates to over a quarter of a million dollars with inflation. In 1910, when Martha was 39, she married William Anderson Hutchinson. In the following years, they purchased a working 100-acre farm in New Jersey. She closed her New York office soon after the birth of her daughter. But like most women's stories, it doesn't end there. Before we continue with Martha, I want to finish our walk in Maudsley. Beyond the greenhouses is a hedge of tall hemlocks. By ducking through a small gap in their planting, you're in the center of a rectangular grassy lawn. On most sides, there are hedges, with some slightly patchy holes that happen over the centuries. In the center is a grape arbor and peonies. Once you cut through the hedge again, you find yourself on a path similar to the one on the way to the main house. At the end of this gravel path was a colonial revival. Now what's left is the foundation and the great view. One thing that I always think of in Maudsley is the amount of people who worked here. There were the gardens, fields, a dairy farm. Maudsley often had 40 people working there. Help wanted ads can be found in the local paper dating back to 1909. On the street I grew up on, we had a neighbor who my brother used to call Grandma Esther. I wasn't born yet, so I didn't have the opportunity. She was born in Norway and moved to the U.S. when she was 18. Her husband, Otto, worked as a caretaker at Maudsley for decades, and Esther worked there too. By the time we knew them, they were retired. My mom remembers Esther always out front gardening and planting. The two were avid gardeners, and this is a little late, but I would like to congratulate Esther on her first place win for best vase of gladiolus and Otto on his award-winning Blue Hubbard squash at the 1949 Newburyport Horticultural Society Fair. Frederick Strong Mosley died at Maudsley at age 86. His daughter, Miss Helen Mosley, didn't marry and continued living at the property with her mother, Mrs. Helen Mosley. Miss Helen built that colonial soon after her father's death. Despite all the formal gardens and greenhouses that are between Mrs. Helen's and Miss Helen's, the two homes were only a quarter mile apart. After Mrs. Helen Mosley died at 77, 14 years after her husband, that mansion was torn down. For over 20 years, Miss Helen was the overseer of Maudsley, and our neighbors worked for her. Miss Helen died in 1974 at the age of 69, a few years after that colonial burned down. In an essay for the Cosmopolitan in 1901, before her career had truly begun, Martha Brooks Hutchison wrote this line about old gardens she had seen in Italy. They were planted so long ago that their very formalities are now but ghosts of their original plan, and the old stonework is covered with moss 
that softens every surface and lends a dull color and a sense of mystery to everything. And to many, myself included, that's exactly what Maudslay exudes today. As I mentioned, Martha's story didn't end when she closed her offices in New York. Although she continued to do consulting work for past clients, she moved her focus to her own Murchiston farm. And what she had previously created for her clients, she began to make for herself. And although there was beauty, there was also utility. This was a working farm. Martha was always learning and changing, whether it was the farm's irrigation system or the crop rotations. There's one photo that I really love. A 45-year-old Martha sits holding three chickens, She's surrounded by eight women in cotton uniforms. One woman's holding a gigantic cabbage, another a stalk of corn. When the United States entered World War I, Martha was one of the founding members of the Women's Land Army. Their goal was to protect the U.S. food supply, and they did that by employing women as farmers at the same wage as men. In 1917 and 18, farmerettes, as they were called, were employed across the country, and the crew here at Murchiston Farm were managed by Martha. Martha continued to run her garden and farm successfully for decades, constantly evolving her techniques and taking her detailed perspective to every part of the process. She ran the property and lived on it until her death when she was 88. Her daughter, Martha, would donate the property to Morris County Park Commission 13 years later. And over the years... Many of the gardens at Murchiston have been restored to how they were in 1945. Maudsley also became a public park. In 1985, Massachusetts purchased the 400-acre estate for $5 million. I think it's pretty great that Martha's original goal back in 1898 was to make a public space more beautiful. And it may not have happened exactly as planned, and it may look a little different, but 120 years later, two spaces that she created are being used for just that. Thank you for listening to the new season of Someone Lived Here. I would love to read your review on Apple Podcast if you can. We will be releasing new episodes every other Monday this season. You can see what we're up to by following on Instagram at someonelivedherepod. Music is by Tim Cahill. If you have any questions about the show or want to see some photos of Maudsley, go to our website, someonelivedhere.com. <laughs>